What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I'm your host, and my name is John. And this week, we are back with the 68th episode of Martian MMA, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC on ESPN4 card, headlined by Rafael Dos Anjos versus Leon Edwards. The seven-fight prelim card kicks off at 6 p.m. Eastern Time with the six-fight main card starting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time with all 13 fights taking place on ESPN. Last week's UFC Sacramento card was a very successful card with the picks going 9-3 and three on the card and with the bets going 7-1 and one on the card. Seven of the eight Moneyline plays that I tipped on last week's podcast cashed on the last week's Sacramento card. So a very successful event for me. I don't have many strong plays on this card besides one money line play and uh, a few value plays that I might be uh, eyeing up as the card goes on. But this card just doesn't have as much betting value as the last one did. And UFC Sacramento will go down as a very successful event. But we will keep moving on with the UFC events and this week we got 13 more fights so with that being said we're going to start things off in the Bantamweight division where we have Domingo Pilarte who is 8-1 taking on Felipe Colares who is also 8-1. The opening betting line for this one was Pilarte minus 275, Colares plus 195. Right now we are seeing Pilarte minus 335, Colaris plus 275. So even more action coming in on the favorite Pilarte in this matchup. And although I do think Pilarte will win this fight and should be the better fighter in the striking and the grappling aspect of things, I just think that this is too high of a price to pay at this point for Pilarte making his UFC debut. He has taken on Colaris, who only has one fight in the UFC himself, and looked pretty bad in that fight versus uh, Geraldo de Freitas back in February in Brazil. He looked very sloppy and wild on the feet when he was striking. He did not have very good defense. Was getting outstruck versus Defratis. Was getting rocked with punches consistently throughout the fight, and he could could not stop the takedown of Defratis in that one. He managed to get off of his back frequently and he looked uh, like he had some decent jujitsu skills but his takedown defense was very very lacking he could not stop the takedown all three rounds was just constantly getting lit up with punches and then put on his back and just dominated that entire fight he really did not show any promise i did not honestly expect for the ufc to bring him back for one more fight but they did in this one and he's taken on pilarte who is a uh, dana white tuesday night contender series standout he had a great fight with vince morales and where he was getting outstruck and was on the verge of getting finished in round one but somehow uh, recovered on the stool in between rounds, came out in round two, pursued the takedown, and ended up getting the back and the rear naked choke of uh, Vince Morales and put Vince out cold for that one. So an amazing come-from-behind victory in that fight. He is a very long southpaw. He throws a lot of kicks. It seems like he wants to th- keep the fight at kickboxing range, but once star- things started going bad at the striking range versus Morales, he was very comfortable to mix the fight up uh, and get the takedown and get the choke. So Pilarte seems like a very well-rounded fighter. His defense is not the best on the feet, uh, which is why he was getting lit up with punches versus uh, Vince Morales. But Kolaris is just not a very talented striker. I don't see him having the technique or the power to hurt 
Pilarte on the feet, and I don't see him having the takedown defense to stop Pilarte's takedown. So wherever this fight goes, Pilarte should be in control. He should be the better striker. The grappler should be able to hit takedowns if he wants to, but... Uh, even though I'm picking Plorte to win this fight very comfortably, uh, where the current betting line is at, it's definitely dog or pass. I'm not advising a play on uh, Kolaris at plus 275 because I think he ultimately will lose this fight, but I'm just advising to stay away from the minus 335 price on Plorte, despite him most likely picking up a dominant decision victory in this one. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Mario Bautista, who is 6-1, taking on Jin Su Sun, who is 9-3. The opening betting line for this one was Sun, minus 265, Bautista, plus 185. Right now, we are seeing Sun, minus 210, Bautista, plus 175. So, line margins have tightened up, two-way action coming in on this fight. And rightfully so, I think it's a little bit closer of a fight than the odds indicate. I think that both of these guys are quite inexperienced fighters, and their, their records show that 6-1, and 9-3. and three. Both of them only have one fight in the UFC, and both of them lost that fight. And now they both look like very game fighters. It looked like they have the the heart and the tenacity to be in the UFC. They, they both came out extremely aggressive in both of their fights against way better opponents. You know, they kind of got thrown to the wolves. Uh, Sun fought Peter Yan in Russia, and Bautista fought Corey Sanhagen, I believe, on short notice. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I, I think it is short notice because it was just such a mismatch. Sanhagen was a, a surging prospect, and he fought uh, a 6-0 and debutante. So I believe that fight uh, was short notice. So um, we'll start thing with, with Sun. So Sun uh, has some pretty decent boxing. He showed a good jab versus Jan. He just couldn't really get anything going because Jan is just such a superior talent. Uh, he also has tremendous boxing. Um, you know, Sun had good takedowns in that fight. He had some good takedown entries. He even got Jan down in the second round of that fight. Uh, had a great timing on a blast double leg. He did not have much control on the ground he tried to go for a back take uh, but it was pretty sloppy and he lost position uh, the main thing that Sun showed in that fight was just his chin and how crazy of a guy he is you know he was just smiling uh, sticking his tongue out just eating massive punches on the chin repetitively through that 15 minutes of the fight with Jan so his stock went up a lot in that fight and I think that's kind of why he's valued as the two to one favorite in this spot which is just the wrong move in my opinion he did show incredible toughness and heart in that debut but in terms of uh, his effective offense that he landed he did not get much off now I did comment that he has good takedowns and he does seem to have some good uh, fundamental boxing, but he hasn't really shown that in the UFC so far, so it's hard to be laying chalk at, on him, especially a 2-1. to one. Uh, and I did get a hold of one of his fights, uh, his most recent fight uh, before he entered the UFC in Japan versus an opponent uh, named Takada. He started a bit slow in that fight, and it was, he had a, a TKO finish in the second round, but it was pretty unimpressive. It wasn't a big shot that landed on Takada. Takada kind of just shelled up after a punch landed and got finished. It was a very low output, uh, kind of uh, underwhelming victory from Sun uh, getting uh, into the UFC with that victory. So... 
Uh, I don't really know where to hold Sun at. His level of competition that he's fought hasn't been so good either, but um, I'm not totally counting Sun out of this matchup because getting over to Bautista now, we also have a guy who there is very little footage of. Uh, he has not had very much success in the UFC. He did come out aggressive versus Sandhagen and start taking the fight to him, landing a few leg kicks on Sandhagen, but he also was getting leg kicked back by Corey. He was getting uh, hit with some stiff punches and then eventually got dropped with a flying knee in round one. Now, Bautista quickly recovered and got back to his feet, but he went in on a, on a takedown of Sandhagen, got a little crazy and tried slamming Sandhagen on his head, but Sandhagen was able to snatch an armbar from a weird position and then got Got a submission victory over Bautista in the first round. So, uh, and watching Bautista's LFA fights, it seems like he uh, likes to throw the low kicks a lot. I expect him to be targeting that in this matchup versus Sun a lot. He had some pretty good punches uh, in his LFA fights as well. He was able to hurt some of his opponents with his his strikes. And uh, but his real bread and butter is the submissions. Most of his wins have come by submissions. But if you look over the opponents that he's beat, he's beaten their their records are not very good they're not very high level opponents so that's why it's so hard to predict this fight both of these guys not much ufc experience not much experience outside the ufc not much footage online to access to their, their skills so i expect this one to be closed uh i expect bautista to be a little bit better uh, on the in the striking aspect of things i think he will mix up the kicks and the knees a little bit better than sun who seems to be primarily boxing i expect bautista to be kicking the legs of sun trying to limit his movement movement uh, but i expect sun to be looking for the takedown in this one just like he did versus Jan. he shouldn't be looking to get those explosive takedown entries and put bautista on his back now bautista is dangerous on the ground as well that's why most of his victories have come by submission but i really haven't seen two impressive skills out of bautista to think that he's going to be able to either submit sun off of his back or or uh, get off of his back, get back to top position. So I kind of lean Sun's way to get the takedowns, the top control, and slightly edge rounds on this one for a decision. But uh, at these current odds, it's going to be dog or pass all, all day. And this is where I get to my first value bet of the day. I think that uh, I, I maybe half unit or maybe a full unit on Mario Bautista at plus 175 is a good bet. I expect this to be a close back and forth type of fight. It could be a split decision for either fighter. Now, I am slightly leaning Jin Su Sun's way to get the top control time and the, the rounds to the split decision in this one, but it's definitely dog or pass, and I like the value on Bautista in this one. The next fight also takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Ray Borg, who is 11-4, taking on Gabriel Silva, who is 7-0. The opening betting line for this one was Borg minus 295, Silva plus 215. Right now, we are seeing Borg minus 225, Silva plus 185. So, more action coming in on the underdog Gabriel Silva's way, and I gotta agree with it. Uh, not because I think this is a good matchup for Silva, not because I think that he has a great chance of winning this fight. It's just because Ray Borg seems to be like a declining fighter. He has really struggled with activity over the past couple years. He's gotten injured, has had to pull out of a lot of fights, and he's main issue has really been making weight. He struggled with making weight at the flyweight 125 pound division. He actually had his title shot almost taken away when he missed weight at UFC 215, but luckily got another chance at UFC 216, I believe. 
and eventually lost that fight to Demetrius Johnson. But if you believe, that was his second most recent fight. The only other time he's fought since then was his decision loss versus Casey Kenny back in March. So Borg's... Uh, and that fight with Casey, he missed weight at 135. So despite going up in weight to 135, he still could not make the weight. And it wasn't totally unexpected. He was coming off that long layoff, and he had not fought in a long time, uh, obviously. And that's why he missed the weight. His body just was not ready for the weight cut. And you got to wonder if his body is going to be ready for the weight cut this time. I mean, he could consistently struggle with the, the weight. And he could be on his way out as a fighter, uh, you know, especially with all of those fights being taken away and canceled from him on short notice. It's got to be frustrating. And it's uh, and another thing that goes into that is his last fight. He thought he won that fight. It was a close fight versus Casey Kenny, but I thought the decision went the right way to Kenny. Uh, Borg had his moments in that fight. He got a lot of big slam takedowns uh, versus Kenny, but was not able to keep top position. Uh, Casey was constantly scrambling in that fight and really just out grappled Borg uh, throughout all three rounds of that fight Borg's game is really just using his boxing to set up takedowns he's really primarily a grappler he never had much uh, successful striking on the feet uh, and he's always been primarily a guy who's trying to put you on your back and you know, win rounds top control possibly get submissions or ground and pound but I really just haven't seen much lately from Borg. I mean, the past, what, two or three years that has looked good. So it's hard really picking him to win this fight. And that's why you see that action coming in on the dog, Silva, in this one. But uh, getting over to the debutante, uh, Silva, in this one, he is uh, primarily a boxer. He's got very nice hands, and that is what led him to his most recent knockout victory over Jake Hefferman in LFA back in March. He has only had one fight in the past two years, and that was that victory over uh, Hefferman. He has fought some pretty decent competition throughout his scene in the regionals, you know, fighting in jungle fights, and uh, he fought over in Russia or Poland or something versus a guy named Camille Lebowski, and was able to just soundly outstrike him in that fight, was able to hit offensive takedowns, stay in top position. Have not seen much a defensive grappling from Silva, so it's really hard to get a sense of where he's going to be at in this fight versus Borg because you know that Borg is coming in here to wrestle. He's coming in here to put Silva on his back, and it's just going to be really hard for Silva to stay off of his back in this one because although Casey Kenny was able to do it in the last fight, he did get taken down a bunch of times, but constantly got back to his feet, constantly scrambled for top position. That was a long and grueling fight for Casey Kenny. It was a tough, tough debut fight for a fighter to make in the UFC, and Casey stood the test of it, which is really why I'm high on Casey Kenny, because if he was able to come in here and win that grueling takedown defense type of fight versus Borg, uh, on six days short notice, he's going to have a very successful UFC career. I don't think Silva is that same uh, level of fighter as Kenny. I, I see Silva being able to outstrike Borg as long as it stays on the feet, but it should not stay on the feet long. Borg is going to be looking to close that distance and put Silva on his back, win rounds in top position, and uh, get top control, uh, maybe land some ground and pound or look for a submission like he always does. But I expect him to win a decision with top control. He should put Silva on his back for all three rounds but where the betting line is at it's it's dog or pass all day you just can't trust Ray Borg as a favorite at this point in his career especially at two to one uh, 
Uh, and Silva is a young and improving fighter. He could come in here vastly improved. I mentioned that he only has one fight in the past two years. Actually, two fights in the past four years really struggle with activity. And he could come in and make massive improvements because his last victory was an 83-second knockout. He could not have gotten to show his takedown defense that he's been working super hard on. So it's much more likely that Silva comes in here uh, improved and up to the test of making his debut and taking out an established guy like Borg. While Borg is struggling to make weight he's struggling to pick up victories in the octagon he could be frustrated with his fighting career at this point and it's really hard to trust borg to come in here and get this victory over another debuting fighter after losing a close decision to a debuting fighter in his last fight so a lot of things going against borg in this fight but i still see him getting the victory via 30 27 decision the next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division we have Jennifer Maya, who is 16-5-1, taking on Roxanne Modafari, who is 23-15. The opening betting line for this one was Maya, minus 130, Modafari, minus 110. Maya is now minus 135 to Modafari at plus 115. So, interesting line opener there because these women have fought before it was a fight in invicta just about two years ago and it was a five round contest uh, let me get the exact date of this one uh, it was in september of 2016 so about two and a half years ago and it was a split decision that jennifer Maya won i don't see how it was split to be honest i watched the fight uh, a few days ago and i scored the fight four rounds to one for jennifer Maya. Uh, roxanne modafari did have a great round two where she was able to hit offensive takedowns and keep Maya on her back and advanced position and win that round comfortably but outside of that uh, Maya was pretty much in control of the fight she was outstriking Modafari had some great counter puncturing in that fight Roxanne was kind of just marching forward into the pocket and Maya was sliding out of range and countering her with uh, punches Maya's got a very nice uh, right hand she comes from a boxing background uh, she definitely struggles with takedown defense and uh, getting off of her back but she's very solid defensively on the ground she's got a ju good jujitsu base but she just has to avoid staying off of her back that is where she has lost a lot of her recent fights uh, against Liz Carmouche that's the way she lost got put on her back and, uh, and stayed there Alexis Davis even in the second round of that fight Davis was able to get Maya down and keep top position for her on about for about three minutes and win that round but luckily Maya was able to come back and uh, outstrike Davis in round three and won rounds one and three of that fight on her way to a decision so this fight really comes down to what improvements have these two women made since the last time they fought about two and a half years ago and what I look at is I think Maya is the fighter that has improved more now Roxanne Matafari is still an improving fighter and she has really come into her own with that uh, that victory over uh, Anton Antonina Shevchenko was just a great performance in that one but I think Montefiore is kind of getting better at the style that she has uh, had for years now she's doing a little bit better with her striking and getting her her takedowns going and her grappling but 
that's really the same fighter that she's been for the past you know decade or so. While Maya is, uh, I think, really getting better in her striking, her takedown defense is getting better fight by fight, and her defensive grappling when she's on the ground is getting better. And I just have to lean a little bit more in Jennifer Maya's way because she was able to outstrike Modafari the first time. I think that she'll be able to outstrike her this time. It's really just a matter of if Roxanne can get her takedowns going because I think that's the only real way that Roxanne can make this fight competitive. Roxanne just does not have the... Uh, striking offense or the defensive technique to com compete with Maya on the feet in this one. Maya's just going to be one step, maybe even two steps ahead of Roxanne on the feet at this point in their careers. So if Roxanne can set up her takedowns uh, nicely, get Maya on her back, uh, this fight will get real interesting. Roxanne could very well win this fight because she put Maya on her back in one round two of their, uh, their first fight. And if that fight was three rounds it could have been 29 28 Maya it could have been a really close fight and if Roxanne knew it was three rounds she could have game planned differently and she could have gone hard for the takedowns and tried to won the first two rounds so this is going to be a different fight than their first fight because it's it's three rounds this time and both of these women have I think looked a lot better uh since these two they, they've squared off the first time so it's going to be a good fight I, I have a lot of respect for both of these women especially Matafari but a huge fan of her she's just a really grinding type of fighter where she'll get uh, she'll be able to reverse position she'll go for takedowns at the key times in the fight she's just a true veteran but she has her her flaws in her techniques, specifically in her, her striking. She's got that awkward style where she kind of blitzes forward without much defense. And that's kind of her kryptonite because she eats a lot of punches in the striking because of it. And her, her takedowns suffer because of it because she takes, she takes some damage on the feet. So look for Monafari to set up the takedowns and get the takedowns early. If she can do so versus Maya, I see Monafari winning maybe rounds one and two of this fight and getting the decision but if Montefiore does not pursue the takedowns or if Maya is able to stuff the early takedowns of Montefiore then I see Maya running away with this one outstriking Montefiore to a decision so the pick is going to be Maya uh, where the betting line is at it's uh, it's there's no value on either side at this point it's going to be a pass for me uh it, it would honestly be a favorite or pass where the odds are at now because Montefiore just one plus 115 I just don't think is a good price for her to come in here and to beat a, a woman that she lost to just a few years ago I don't think that she's made uh, the leaps and bounds improvements to be confident in her in this spot so the pick is going to be mine to get this one done by decision I'll go with 29 28 the next fight takes place in the light heavyweight division we have Sam Alvey who is 33 and 12 taking on Cletuson Abreu who is 14 and 13 the opening betting line for this one was Abreu, the favorite, at minus 150 to Alvi, plus 110. We are now seeing Abreu, minus 165 to Sam Alvi at plus 145. So earlier in the podcast when I said I only have one money line play that I'm feeling in this card, I've now changed it to two because I just realized that Sam Alvi is definitely worth a bet at plus 145. Now I will get into explaining uh, why here shortly so we'll start things off with uh, Cleason Abreu who only has one fight in the UFC and that was a decision loss to Magomed Ankalaev now in that fight he showed some decent boxing early it looked like he hurt Ankalaev with a punch but in early in round one he got hit with the, an uppercut that broke his nose like in half 
and the commentators noticed it right away. His nose was bent uh, at a 90-degree angle, and he continued to fight for 13 more minutes, did not stop one bit, barely took a step back the entire time. It was insane. So the dude is tough as nails. Ankoliyev could not knock him out, and even though he took the, the, the punch to the nose to get it broken, he showed incredible toughness and was an overall decent performance for coming in against such an impressive fighter like uh, Magomed Ankalaev. So on the feet, he is a little awkward and hittable uh, because he just wants to get fights to the ground. I mean, he's a jiu-jitsu black belt. He's got great submissions, good top position, but in terms of getting the fight to the ground, he does not really excel in that aspect of things. He does not have a very good takedown that he goes to uh, often for high success. He tends to actually pull guard a lot. So what he'll do is he'll shoot in on a takedown. And if the takedown doesn't work, then he'll look to pull guard from there. Uh, now, he did do that versus Ankalaev in round two. And he got into his guard, but he couldn't sweep. He couldn't threat with the submission. He couldn't go through and get for anything going off of his back and really just lost the round versus Ankalaev uh, on his back. And Abreu does this really bad uh, takedown attempt that he always does in the clinch where he'll reach across your whole body with his, his leg and try to do like a judo throw uh, with the legs. And it's a very risky maneuver. And it's paid off in some of his uh, regional fights. Uh, specifically against uh, Vyazgin, uh, an opponent um, that he fought uh, before he got into the UFC. But Abreu went for this fight, or went for that attempt in his fight with Ankalaev, and he, Ankalaev stuffed it, and Ankalaev took his back. So he is a, uh, a very risky fighter, Abreu. He goes for those low uh, percentage judo throws and ends up on his back, and that's you know not a good sign from a fighter in the UFC at this point in his career. Um and he has got his kicks caught before and put on his back. He he definitely definitely can be taken down uh, if someone pr pursued an offensive takedown on him. But I do not think Sam Alvey is going to do that in this fight. Sam Alvey is primarily a boxer. He is hard to take down. He is really a very unique fighter where he starts kind of slow. He'll kind of lull you into a boring and low output type of fight and look to counterpunch you. Uh, but his his style is not really having too much success lately. His chin has seemed to be deteriorating a little bit. He was winning the fight versus uh, Lil Nog early, and then in round two he got hurt with a punch, and he got finished uh, by Noguera in that one. In his most recent fight against Jimmy Crute, he got dropped hard with a counter right hand and finished with some ground to pound in that one too. So he's coming off of two knockout losses in a row here for Sam Alvey, but luckily for Alvi, this is just a good matchup for him because he's fighting a, a guy without very good striking and he doesn't have particularly good takedowns. Abreu is dangerous on the ground with the submissions, but it's not like an end-all be-all type of thing where if he gets you to the ground, it's over because Sal Sam Alvi has fought his fair share of talented grapplers before and he has been uh, very difficult to submit. I mean, I don't think he's ever lost. To, no, he's never lost a submission in his career. So, I'm not banking on uh, Abreu to be the one to pull off the submission in here because Sam Alvey has beaten fighters like Spicely and uh, uh, Dan Kelly, Cesar Ferreira. These are all talented grapplers. And he's gone to decision uh, with Talis Latis and Ramazan Ameev, uh, uh, more talented grapplers. So I just see 
uh, Sam Alvey having the takedown defense and the footwork to be able to circle around the cage and to avoid the takedown of Cletus Inabreu. Uh, and once this, on, this is on the feet, I see Sam Alvey uh, winning this fight. He is just the, the, the better striker. He's got that good counterboxing. He, uh, even though his chin has been fading a little bit lately, Abreu is not really a type of uh, power puncher to test that chin early uh, like Nogueira or Cruz. So I'm kind of going out on a limb here, picking Alvi to win this one because he's not looked so good lately. But you don't, you're also going out on a limb picking Cletus and Abreu to come in here and to beat Sam Alvey in his second UFC fight when he doesn't even have a win in the UFC. He does have a lot of submissions over great fighters and uh, Brave uh, FC, a very legit promotion in M1 Challenge and Jungle Fight. He's fought good competition and good promotions, but uh, you know Sam Alvey is a great fighter in the, the best organization in the world, and I think that's a whole different animal for Cletus and Abreu. So, Abreu could come in here, make some good improvements, possibly uh, mix things up on the feet and make it competitive on the feet and get the takedowns and win rounds on top. Possibly even getting that submission on uh, Alvi. It's it's a possibility that he could do that, but I don't like his chances at it, and I certainly would not pay him uh, or bet on him as a favorite and rely on him to do so. So with that being said, I'm going to be picking Sam Alvey to get this one done. I see him lulling Abreu into that that low output, low de- uh, low intensity decision where he's just going to circle and counter strike Abreu all day, dig those uh, underhooks and wizards to stuff the takedowns of Abreu against the cage, and uh, look for Sam Alvey to win this fight via decision. So I'm going to be locking in a one unit play on Sam Alvey, a plus 145. And uh, we're going to be moving on to the next fight after this, which takes place in the women's bantamweight division. We have Raquel Pennington, who is nine and seven, taking on Irene Aldana, who is ten and four. The opening betting line for this one is Aldana minus one forty-five, Pennington plus one hundred five. And right now we are seeing Aldana minus one forty, Pennington plus one twenty. So. Two-way action coming in on this fight. A little more action on Aldana's way, but it's coming in on both sides. Like I said, it's a really close fight, and uh, we got. We'll start things off with Irina Aldana. She is uh, a great boxer. She's got nice long punches, a very solid jab, and I'm really impressed with her. Her output and her cardio. Uh, she's just had some really high output fights in her past couple of fights, and she's really impressed me, especially her fight with. Uh, Pudilova, which is one of the best women's uh, MMA fights of all time. Um, Aldana also has some good leg kicks as well to, to mix it up with her with her boxing. She'll go to the inside leg, to the outside leg, and I, I just like what I've seen from Aldana. She has good head movement, good defense. That's actually kind of rare for women's MMA. She's strong in the clinch. Her takedown defense has been getting better. She's she stuffed the takedowns of Talita Bernardo, a jiu-jitsu black belt, when they fought. She was able to hit a hip throw, was able to reverse position on Bernardo and end up in mount. She had some very good moments versus Bernardo in the grappling of her own. So Aldana's grappling has been getting better and better, and she showed that in her fight against Betch Cohea. Cohea went for a sloppy takedown, and Aldana was able to uh, armbar Cohea in the third round to get the finish. And she dug deep in that fight. Aldana won round one pretty clearly versus Cohea. 
Kohea, but Kohea just started marching forward and throwing heavy punches uh, d- despite eating some punches of her own because Aldana is constantly throwing out those straight punches in the face, but th- they don't have the most power behind them. They're kind of consistent shots at you know 60-70%, and Kohea, was, once she realized that these punches weren't going to knock her out, she just decided to start marching through them and throwing back punches of her own, and she actually had success with that. Aldana was wasn't able to use her footwork and defense very effectively, and was actually getting outstruck by Betch Kohea in round two. Not very uh, a good very sign for Aldana uh, in this one, but she was able to get that armbar in round three and win the fight in a, in a pivotal moment of the fight for Aldana. But she was on her way to winning round three anyway. It was not a come from behind victory by any means. Um, but uh, getting over to Pennington, uh, she is really not look good lately so she had that fight against Nunez when she was just clearly outclassed in that one um, no shame in that one because Nunez is the greatest female fighter of all time and it was just a huge mismatch in that one uh, minus 500 favorite for Nunez and Nunez really did some damage to Pennington in that one she I think broke her nose and just lit her up with punches for five rounds and eventually finished uh, Pennington in the fifth round so you never know how Pennington's uh, gonna recover from that. It was it was a serious beating that she took from Amanda Nunes. Her her f- nose and her uh, breathing pathways may never be the same uh, after that the damage that she took from Nunes. So that's why Aldana's jab could be a serious issue in the in this fight. So if Aldana starts landing a few stiff jabs and sending Pennington's nose back into uh, into her skull like Nunes did, you know it could bring back some bad memories and Pennington could have some trouble in this fight and Pennington's really just looking to close distance and get takedowns in this fight she tried doing that in her last fight against Jermaine Duraname she had some decent setups for her takedowns but was not able to get Duraname down at all in that fight and just got soundly outstruck on the feet couldn't close the distance she looked pretty weak in the clinch she was just out techniqued and outstruck in the clinch at range by Duraname it was just a complete dominant performance from Duraname in that fight now I'm not saying Pennington is completely shot she did fight Nunez and uh, Duraname back to back two of the best female fighters um, not only ever or not only right now but ever uh, in uh, Duraname and, and Nunez so no no shame in those two losses but just the way that Pennington looked in those fights she did not she did not look confident in herself. She did not look aggressive. She did not have any effective offense by any means. So it's really hard to rely on Pennington coming in here to win this fight. Although it is kind of a decent matchup in this one. Because when Aldana has gotten put on her back, she has uh, struggled and even lost fights. Um, the most re- Her most recent loss came against... Caitlin Chukagian, that was a close split decision, striking back and forth fight. Uh, Leslie Smith is a girl who was able to put her on her back and win rounds that way. Tony Evinger uh, defeated her a few years back with uh, her top position game. So she has struggled with with girls who were able to get her down to the canvas, but I just can't rely on Pennington to do so. The way I, I, I'm looking at this one from afar is Pennington is a, a fighter who's past her prime, who has taken a, a big amount of damage in her past couple of fights, and is just trying to get maybe one more win before she goes out, or maybe trying to get back on track with this one, while Adana is really a surging prospect. She's won, uh, I think, four fights in a row, in, or three or four fights in a row in the UFC. She's getting better fights 
fight by fight. Her takedown defense is improving. She will be the better striker in this one by a, a country mile. So I'm really liking Aldana in this one. I think that she'll be able to stuff the takedowns of uh, Pennington in round one. She will win round one. I think Pennington will probably get her down in round two, and Aldana will lose round two, like she did versus Kohea. Like she might have even lost versus round two versus Bernardo. I'm not really sure. Don't remember fully, even though I've watched that fight like five times now. And then I see Aldana coming back in round three, starting to outstrike Pennington again. Pennington won't have the car dude hit another takedown, and Aldana will win this fight 29-28. It's not going to be a dominant performance from Aldana, just because I don't think she quite has the skill to dominate Pennington like Nunes and Duraname did. But I do see Aldana ultimately stuffing the takedowns of Pennington and outstriking her with her uh, superior boxing and leg kicks to a 29-28 decision victory in this one. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Alex Caceres, who is 14 and 12, taking on Steven Peterson, who is 17 and 8. The opening betting line for this one was Caceres minus 130, Peterson minus 110. Right now, we are seeing Caceres minus 140, Peterson plus 120. So, I agree with where the line was set initially, more so rather than now. Uh, where it's at now, I think there's some value on Steven Peterson because I just think this is going to be a very close split decision type of fight, and I will lean Peterson, and uh, I will tell you why after I go over each fighter's uh, strengths and weaknesses. So I'll start with Caceres, and uh, man, so Caceres is just a sloppy fighter. He's had 19 fights in the UFC. He's 9-10. and 10. He has not really made any improvements over the years, I kind of see him as the same fighter he was when he got that great come from behind victory versus uh, Sergio Pettis at like UFC like 185 or something four years, four or five years ago. So, Caceres uh, is a southpaw on the feet. He's got some decent striking. That's really where he's probably the best is his striking, and that's where he will win this fight versus Peterson if he's able to keep the fight at range, use his kicks and his punches to uh, keep Peterson at, at, at bay and outstrike him to a decision in this one. But unfortunately, Caceres' footwork is not very good. He always backs himself against the fence. He is very hittable on the feet. He does not have very good uh, striking defense whatsoever. He can't really stop stop a takedown too well. His wrestling is not good. He couldn't stop a takedown versus Martin Day to save his life, man. It was all three rounds of that fight. He was just constantly taken down versus terrible takedown entries. You know, he had Martin Day hurt on the feet with punches and would just let Martin Day get inside on him and take him down. It was just a pathetic performance. And he was able to win a split decision in that one, but... Regardless, the Caceres has just been looking worse and worse lately. His his offense is just so telegraphed. You know, he he when he throws a left kick, he just shows that he's going to do it two three seconds before the kick comes. He's just really predictable. But luckily, he's not fighting uh, a great striker of his own uh, or a power striker in St uh, Steven Peterson. This one, Peterson is a horrible matchup for Caceres though because. Peterson has better cardio than Caceres. Caceres tends to fade later in fights. And Peterson will just relentlessly pursue the clinch. 
it doesn't matter that he can't strike at range. It doesn't matter that his defense is terrible. It's actually worse than Caceres's. He's got an iron chin, does Steven Peterson. He has taken an insane amount of damage versus Benito Lopez and Luis Pena and other fighters and just continue to come forward. He will keep looking for that clinch. He will keep looking to get takedowns. And he doesn't really do much damage in the clinch or da get damage with takedowns or he doesn't go for submissions too much. But he really just is kind of jockeying for position the entire time he's looking to put you against the cage wear you down take you down and win rounds with top control uh, unfortunately his top control really isn't that great but he was able to get benito lopez down in round two and keep him on his back for three minutes so look for him to do the same here against caceres and i think that it's honestly a very good path to victory for steven peterson because caceres's footwork is so bad because he constantly moves himself back to uh puts his back to the fence because he can't stuff a takedown i can i see peterson out grinding caceres against the cage landed takedowns and just having the better cardio in rounds two and three to be able to keep the pressure on Caceres and to out volume and outwork Caceres to a decision. So I see it being an ugly, sloppy, terrible type of fight back and forth uh, with the, the striking going to the striking edge going to Caceres and the grappling edge going to Peterson. And ultimately, I see the grappling being the difference in this fight. Peterson should just have a slight more control time and he should win the split decision in this one 29-28. The next fight takes place in the heavyweight division. We have Andre Arlovsky, who is 27 and 18, taking on Ben Rothrow, who is 36 and 11. The opening betting line for this one was Rothwell, the favorite, at minus 215. Arlovsky, plus 165. Right now, we are seeing Rothwell minus 190. Arlovsky plus 165. So. Not much action coming in on this fight, kind of two-way action, and it's it's a hard fight to pick because both of these guys uh, are at the tail end of their career. They both tend to be a little bit low output, uh, a little low intensity in, in their in their output or in their offense. Excuse me. Uh, both of their last fights were uh, split decision losses for them. Uh, the only difference being that Rothwell, I believe, won his against. Uh, Blugoy Ivanov, while Arlovsky, I believe, uh, clearly lost his versus Augusto Sakai. I could be wrong about the Sakai fight because I I didn't really have the 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 patience to rewatch that fight. It was just so sloppy and just terrible. Uh, Arlovsky has lost nine of his last eleven fights. Um, you know, you really know what you're getting from Arlovsky when he's coming in here to fight. It's going to be a, a low output kickboxing match. Uh, nine times out of ten. That's it's really sad to see that the UFC keeps giving him fights because he's lost four in a row. He comes in with the same game plan every time to just box and low kick and keep fights standing, jab and grab and just make fights unentertaining. He he had. I said enough about Arlovsky. Um, so Rothwell, he's got very unorthodox striking. He's trying to counterpunch you most of the time, which is why this fight is just bound to be a snoozer because both guys are going to be looking to counterpunch. Both guys are not going to be willing to commit. They both have uh, kind of... Uh, sloppy uh, boxing from time to time and and neither of them just really have an offensive tool they can go to, go to consistently i give the edge to rothwell because he looked better in his last fight he 
I think has the more technical uh, boxing at this point in his career. He's got good takedown defense if Arlovski chooses to switch this fight up for some reason. And he, Rothwell was really attacking the leg kicks of Blagoy Ivanov. And I think that'll be a good uh, tool in this fight to stop uh, Arlovski. So I don't have a strong lean in this one. Uh, I'm going to lean Rothwell's way because I just can't trust Arlovski to win a fight at this point in his career, losing four in a row. His last couple victories have come over, you know, Junior Albini and who who the hell else knows who. Let me pull, let me pull it up just so I don't – just so I can refresh my own memory. Uh, Stefan Struve and Junior Albini, right. So bottom of the barrel, we're talking here. Struve is retired, and Albini is no longer on the roster. So looking at their most recent fights – Rothwell just looked much more promising. He looked like he had more pop in his punches. He looked like he had the better gas tank. And I'm just going to be leaning his way uh, in this one for a decision. But expect a very low output, sloppy type of fight. With Caceres and Peterson and Arlovsky and Rothwell going back to back, this might be a good time to you know, uh, cook up some dinner, run to the store, have a smoke break, something like that. Uh, no disrespect to these guys, but it, these... It's just going to be some sloppy fights. So moving on to the lightweight division uh, and the main card. Actually, no, Arlovsky, but Rothwell was the main card. Uh, moving on to the lightweight division, we have Francisco Trinaldo, who is 23-6, taking on Ar Alexander Hernandez, who is 10-2. The opening betting line for this fight was Hernandez minus 175, Trinaldo plus 135. Right now, we are seeing Hernandez minus 185, Trinaldo plus 160. So, more action coming in on the favorite Hernandez's way. And I don't agree with it. I think this is a, a tough fight for Alexander Hernandez. He's coming off of that loss to Donald Cerrone, where he was, you know, soundly outstruck and finished in that fight with the head kick knockout. Uh, he was constantly countered with uh re rear knees from Don Cerrone in that fight he was outboxed he was eating jabs and straight punches down the pipe the entire fight and then eventually was finished with that head kick in round two so interesting to see how Hernandez comes off of his loss his first uh loss in the UFC he came in on short notice and knocked out Benil Daryush with the left hand in 40 seconds. He out uh, outgrinded uh, Oliver Oben Mercier to a decision uh, in his second UFC win. And then in his third fight, he ran into the brick wall that is Cowboy Cerrone, and he got finished in that fight. So look, it's going to be interesting to see what adjustments he has made. And he's taken on a seasoned veteran in Francisco Trinaldo, who is an old guy. He's about 40 years old now, but he's still very athletic. He's still a very solid fighter, extremely well-rounded. He's still got power in his hands. He's got very good knees, which could come into play in this fight. I'll talk a little more about that later. But... Trinaldo's grappling is also very good. He's got good takedown defense. He can scramble his ass off still, even though he's 40 years old. He he did so versus Dunham. You know, Dunham went for a takedown, and Trinaldo was able to scramble to top position, and he still still looked very agile on the ground. But Trinaldo, you know, he's he's got to be fading. He he's got to be uh, tailing off a little bit. He just can't uh, statistically be the same fighter as he was a few years ago because. Uh, he's taking a lot of damage, he's getting up there in age, but I still am liking his chances to win this fight. With that all being said, I think that this is a good matchup for Trinaldo. So 
the way I see this fight playing out is Hernandez is going to come out pressuring right, right away. He does this in all of his fights. And I see Trinaldo stuffing the early takedowns of Alexander Hernandez and starting to land some hard counters right away. It should be a real close round one, and the round one should set the tempo for the rest of the fight. Now, what I really think this fight comes down to is how well Hernandez sets up his takedowns because if this fight stays at kickboxing range, I favor Francisco Trinaldo. He's got the much better uh, offense, and he's got great counter knees, the same strike that Donald Cerrone landed on Hernandez repetitively. I find it hard to believe that Alexander Hernandez is going to find a way to avoid the counter knees in, in one fight. You know, he just had major problems with them last fight. You would hope that he would uh, fix up his uh, his issues with them uh, fight to fight and come in here with an answer to the counter knees, but it, it that's harder than you think. It's, it's a hard strike to plan for, and Hernandez kind of relies on just bull rushing you, getting into the, the pocket and going for takedown kind of recklessly and Trinaldo could make him pay with some counter shots in this one so look for Trinaldo to be landing hard counters in this fight if Trinaldo does not enter the takedowns carefully so what I get what I was getting back to is the thing that will determine this fight is how well Hernandez sets up the takedowns because when Kevin Lee was shooting in on Francisco Trinaldo, he was stuffing the takedowns all day because the takedowns were coming from a mile away and Trinaldo saw him coming. He was able to sprawl. He was able to dig under hooks. He was able to get that wizard and he's just so strong that he's able to stuff takedowns very well with his uh, muscular arms. But when Kevin Lee started setting up the takedowns with throwing some punches first, disguising it behind some, some strikes, that's when Kevin Lee was able to get Trinaldo down to the mat. So Hernandez really hasn't done that so far. He's kind of recklessly gone into the the clinch and gone for the takedowns without setting up takedowns or without setting them up. And he was able to get the takedowns versus uh, Oliver Oben Mercier, who is kind of content to go down to his back at some points and doesn't really have the best takedown defense. He can't do that versus Trinaldo here because Trinaldo's got great takedown defense. He's able to scramble out of uh, bottom position if he gets put on his back. So this is a very close fight. I'm not completely counting Alexander Hernandez out of this fight, although I am leaning Trinaldo's way because Hernandez is, what, 15 years younger than Trinaldo. He's probably making insane imp improvements fight to fight. He's got an incredible pace, and he's got really good cardio. He can just pressure you for 15 minutes non-stop and he could win this fight with just pressure aggression and uh, maybe having more control time just being the aggressor in the clinch and Trinaldo getting stuck against the cage he could win this fight like that but where the current ads, uh, odds are at I'm just leaning Trinaldo's way big time I think plus 160 is great value for Trinaldo because he can stuff shots he can land the hard counters and he can win this fight in the striking and possibly outstrike Hernandez to a decision, possibly even knock him out. So each guy has a lot of different ways to win this fight. It could pan out in a million different ways, but I just think that where it's closer than where the odds are at now. So uh, I'm going to lean with Trinaldo to win the fight because I lean with his odds. So I'm not uh, confident in Trinaldo to go out here and win the fight. I wouldn't bet more than a unit on him at plus 160, plus 168 over on BetDSI. So the pick is going to be Trinaldo, but expect a very close fight. It's going to be a, a high-intensity first round. And if Hernandez is able to get Trinaldo down in round one, Hernandez probably wins. If Trinaldo is able to stuff the takedowns in round one, Trinaldo probably wins. So...
it's going to be a great fight. I'm really looking forward to this one. It's one of my favorite matchups on the card, and uh, I'm picking Trinaldo to get the upset victory. So another fight in the lightweight division, we got James Vick, who is 13-3, taking on Daniel Hooker, who is 17-8. The opening betting line for this one was Dan Hooker, the minus-185 favorite. James Vick, the plus-145 dog. Right now, we are seeing Hooker, minus-125. James Vick, plus-105. So more action coming in Vick's way, and I agree with it. It's, it's a really close fight. I am favoring Hooker in this one, but it's hard to lay chalk on Hooker at this point because both of these guys took a beating in the last fight. Uh, Hooker way more so than Vic, but don't underestimate. Vic took a, a, a thrashing in that fight versus Paul Felder. He got his legs kicked bad in that one. He was getting outboxed and just outworked the entire fight by Felder. And we, we might be seeing a, a bit of a decline from James Vic now. He used to be a good fighter with uh, good long punches, good jab, uh, solid boxing fundamentals, good kicks. He's uh, good cardio and also had some good uh, jiu-jitsu to go along with it. But what we've seen from him in his past couple fights, he's shown some major holes. The biggest one is being his boxing defense. He's got that tall man's defense where he leans out of the pocket with his chin straight up in the air. And... That's what got him knocked the fuck out versus J Justin Gaethje. That fight was last year. It was a fight where Gaethje was somehow the underdog, and Gaethje made quick work of him, knocking Vic out in 90 seconds. It was it was an easy fight for Gaethje. He easily timed that tall man's defense and knocked Vic out with it. And you would have think that if after Vic got viciously knocked out, but with that that huge hole in his game, that tall man's defense, he would have fixed it, right? Well, in that fight with Paul Felder, he did not fix it. He was still pulling out of the pocket with his chin straight up in the air. And the commentators even commented on it, uh, as commentators tend to do. So, I really just, I, I can't trust James Vick with a dollar at this point, considering that he has so many holes. The other big hole in his game is the leg kicks. He was getting leg kick early versus Justin Gaethje, and he, he struggled with leg kicks big time against Paul Felder. Paul Felder was attacking that calf kick, and not only was Paul Felder doing damage to that calf kick, but Vic was kind of letting him know. Vic was limping, and on his stool, James Vic complained to his coaches saying, my calf hurts. He sat down before like the round one ended, and before he was sitting on the stool, he told his coach, my calf hurts. After round two, going into round three, he told his coach again, my leg hurts. It's, it, you know, it's one thing when a fighter eats leg kicks. That happens from time to time. Leg kicks are hard to check, and fighters are great at throwing them. There's no shame against that, but... There are there are fighters who are out there who will march through them and fight harder because of it. Like J Dustin Poirier ate a million leg kicks versus Justin Gaethje. It didn't stop him one bit. He marched forward and he knocked them out with punches. Same thing with Henry Cejudo versus Marias. Marias was smashing Henry Cejudo's legs, and Cejudo didn't give a fuck and he marched through it and he knocked Marias out with the punches. That's what you got to do with leg kicks. You got to get respect with your punches to counter the leg kick. So if someone's kicking your legs, you got to come back at them at them with punches to make them second guess throwing those leg kicks. And James Vick just does not do that. Not only does he not check the leg kicks, he does not answer the leg kicks. So fighters continually or continuously attack those leg kicks. So Hooker got outstruck versus Barbosa last last fight. No other way around it. Barbosa 
is a guy who is kind of easy to game plan for. If you pressure Barbosa, you stick to the boxing, you cut off the cage, you can beat Edson Barbosa, and which is how multiple fighters have beat Barbosa before. Michael Johnson has beat him that way, and Kevin Lee beat him that way, and most recently, uh, Justin Gaethje knocked him out that way. So the game plan is out there to beat Barbosa, but Hooker couldn't execute it. He was giving Barbosa way too much room. He was giving Barbosa kick and range, which is where Barbosa is just so, so dangerous. And Hooker paid the ultimate price. He was getting hurt with punches versus Barbosa, and he eventually was getting his legs lit up, with, and then he got uh, was getting his body kicked. And, man, Hooker just took one of the worst beatings I've ever seen in that last fight. And good thing he took a solid seven, eight months off to recover because he needed every single day of it so looking at this matchup I, I think Hooker is just the more intelligent fighter despite him not having that that good despite him not uh, following that game plan versus Barbosa I think that he is intelligent enough to exploit Vic's weaknesses which are the leg kicks which are the boxing defense I think Hooker is going to pressure him he's going to be attacking the leg kicks and he's going to be attacking the punches heavy looking to test that chin of Vic and I think that he really can outstrike Vic in this one so if Vic is able to stay at range, use his kicks and target the body and the legs of like Barbosa did, attack leg kicks, attack body kicks, knees to the body, punches to the body, and take that gas out of Hooker, that's how James Vic wins this fight. Possibly uh, getting a takedown going and maybe uh, using his jiu-jitsu to get a submission. That's another way Vic can win this. But Hooker's takedown defense is pretty good. His footwork is also solid. Uh, Hooker can actually hit his own take or hit his own submission if he wants to. He used uh, he tends to go for guillotines to counter takedowns. He used it uh, against Mark DeCasey and actually tapped him out with it. And he used it effectively against Jujitsu Black Belt Gilbert Burns. Burns shot for a takedown. Hooker snatched that neck right away. He uh, went hard for the guillotine. Wasn't planning on finishing him, but it was just enough for Hooker to get back to his feet and then eventually knock Gilbert Burns out on the feet. So Hooker's got power in his strikes. His knees are incredible. Uh, you know, he's not going to be able to use them too effectively in this matchup because Vic is such a tall fighter and he's going to have trouble getting in that knee all the way up to that six foot one jaw of James Vic. These guys are very evenly matched though because they're both tall lightweights. They uh, are both good strikers. This fight should play out uh, at striking range. And I just think that Hooker uh, is the better fighter at this point in his career. He's got the better IQ. And I see him exploiting those holes in the, the leg kick defense and the boxing defense of James Vick. So I'm going to pick uh, Dan Hooker to get the 29-28 decision victory in this fight. The next fight takes place in the heavyweight division. We got Greg Hardy, who is 4-1, taking on Juan Adams, who is 5-1. The opening betting line for this one was Adams, minus 155, Hardy, plus 115. Right now, we are seeing Adams, minus 115, Hardy, minus 105. So, a near pick em with 2A action coming in on this fight. The early action came in on Hardy and now uh, more action coming in on uh, Juan Adams as we get closer to fight day. This is a very close fight and it's a very hard fight to predict. You heard it in the, these guys' records 4-1 versus 5-1. Both of them are quite inexperienced and it's really hard to predict how this fight is going to go because of that. But uh, I, I'll do my best, just like I always do with these lesser-known fighters. So we'll start things off with Greg Hardy, former NFL star, uh, making his way into the UFC. Kind of on a, he's he's kind of in the UFC B 
because he's in the NFL. That's why I mentioned that. He's getting that promotional push because he's got some name recognition, and that's why you see him on the main card here. That's why he was in the co-main event twice earlier this year. He's active, though. I'll give it to him. He's he's very uh, invested in MMA. He's taking this shit seriously, and he's making big improvements. So uh, respect to the guy, just, uh, despite the history with his personal past and everything. But uh, getting into his, his technical aspect of things, he's just a power puncher, man. No, no other way to describe him. Hardy's looking to come in here to knock you out. He doesn't wrestle, doesn't know how to stop a takedown, doesn't know much jiu-jitsu. He actually struggled with the takedowns in the clinch game of Alan Crowder big time. He got a knee caught versus Crowder. He got put on his back. He doesn't know much jiu-jitsu, but he's not totally clueless either. He uh, was able to get back to his feet versus Crowder. Hardy's real problem is in his gas tank, and he tends to come out and expend too much energy early chasing that early knockout, and if he doesn't get it, then he starts to slow down and gas out, and we saw that versus Alan Crowder. He looked very tired at the end of round one versus Alan Crowder after he went hard chasing that knockout versus Crowder. He blitzed Crowder and hit Crowder with five, seven good shots in round one, but those shots were not enough to put Crowder away, and Crowder was still marching forward after round one. For the first time in Greg Hardy's career, he had never gone out of the first round before, and so that those were new waters for Hardy. He got some good corner advice from Dean Thomas in between rounds, and, and Thomas said, you got to pick them apart. You got to be selective with your shots. Don't throw full power in every shot. You have to uh, strike selectively and not blow your cardio. And he started doing that. He followed the advice. He spent the first two minutes just picking away at Crowder and landing some punches. Nothing too heavy. And he was winning the round. But then uh, the infamous... Uh, illegal knee happened where Crowder went for a takedown there was a situation on the ground where Crowder had a knee one knee on the ground and Hardy hit him with an illegal knee and the fight was over after that a uh, very controversial uh fight but you know it, it's it happens when he got he, it was his what his fourth fight in, the, in an MMA his first fight in the UFC first fight under the bright lights in front of 15,000 people so it's not totally unexpected that he would commit a foul like that I don't think it was necessarily a premeditated or super dirty move other than any other foul is other than a nut shot or an eye poke or a cage grab you know nothing against the guy for that so getting down to his opponent Juan Adams in this one we got a huge heavyweight and so is Hardy I forgot to mention that both these guys are huge heavyweights they cut to 265 and that kind of comes into play with their cardio you know big uh, guys with some a little bit of not necessarily fat on them but not all muscle either you know these are big guys not too disciplined with their diets and if they're cutting a 265 and they're getting back up to 280 285 fight day it's hard to have good three-round cardio when you're that big so that's why both of these guys kind of uh, their cardio is kind of drop off after round one big time. But uh, I believe Adams is the better mixed martial artist and by a good margin. But it, it doesn't really matter in this fight because it's a heavyweight fight that's probably going to end up on the feet and it's going to come down to who lands the power punches. And Hardy is is completely toe to toe with Adam in that one. I'd actually give Hardy the power edge in this one, but Adams definitely has the cleaner boxing technique. He has good jab. He's got nice straight punches. Uh, he also has a wrestling background. He wrestled in college. He has hit offensive takedowns in the UFC before. He got a nice body lock trip takedown versus uh, 
Chris De La Rocha uh, was hit, was had good top pressure and good ground and pound. He was able to finish De La Rocha in round three of that fight. So that's big. The fact that Adams has gone to round three, two fights in a row now, and he actually got a finish in round three, just shows that Adams pretty clearly has the better cardio. He, I believe, won round three versus Arjun Bueller too, but unfortunately, the judges, the Canadian judges, gave it to the Canadian guy in Canada uh, and gave him rounds two and three of that fight. Bueller got top position at the end of the at the end of the round, but didn't do anything with it and uh, just kind of rode it out on top. While Adams actually landed the cleaner, harder strikes in round three. That's why I gave that fight to Adams. But uh, Adams is just overall the better fighter. He can hit the offensive takedowns. He should be the better fighter in the clinch. He has good knees in the clinch. He should be able to uh, be competitive in the striking with Hardy. It really just comes down to power. So it comes down to how Hardy approaches the fight more so than anything. So if Hardy comes out here and tries to uh, pick Adams apart and be technical and not be too aggressive, then that's a bad move in my opinion. I think Adams is the more technical fighter and he will start to land jabs and straight punches and look to clinch up with Hardy and maybe possibly take down Hardy and wear Hardy out as the fight goes on. But if Hardy comes out here and makes this fight emotional and blitzes Adams with some power punches, that's where Hardy has his best chance of winning. Uh, Adams has been calling for this fight uh, for a while now, calling for it on social media. It kind of makes me think that Adams has a bit of a grudge against Hardy. You know, Hardy with those domestic violence issues in the past, he kind of has a target on his chest. And if Adams comes in here, you know, trying to retaliate for Hardy's past or comes in here trying to take Hardy's head off, that's a bad move for him. I think going punch for punch, uh, Hardy wins this fight maybe seven or eight times out of ten. Adams is going to have to use his whole well-rounded MMA game of his straight punches, his clinch, his takedowns, his cardio to wear Hardy out and beat him as the fight goes on. So this fight comes down to round one. If Hardy comes out aggressive and tries to get the knockout early, I think he does get the knockout. I think he will touch the chin of Adams and probably put Adams out. But if this fight goes past round one, then I favor Adams big time. I think he will start to put the pace on Hardy, uh, clinch Hardy, land hard knees, take that gas tank out of Greg Hardy, and eventually get the takedowns and probably finish Hardy from top position in rounds two or three if it gets there. That's a big if, though, because I think these two boys are going to meet in the center of the cage and trade punches, and someone's going to go down, and I expect it to be Juan Adams, unfortunately. Uh, I'll, I'll be cheering for Adams in this one. I think... Uh, like I said multiple times, he's the better fighter. I would hope that he comes in here with a good game plan and uh, watches what Alan Crowder had success with in the clinch and the takedowns and the top position and look to exploit Hardy's game that way. But it's going to be hard because Hardy is a, a train with no breaks and he will come uh, at you throwing haymakers from the jump. So if Adams is ready to come out here and get in a firefight from the jump, he might have a chance at catching the chin of Hardy and knocking him out. But if he comes out here trying to be technical and pick Hardy apart and he lets Hardy make the first aggressive move, that's where things get risky for him. That's where he might get knocked out. But if he comes out here game as fuck, ready to trade punches from the jump, it's a 50-50 type of fight. Uh, anybody could go down. It's heavyweight. He's got, these are big boys, 285 pounds, probably on fight night. And either one of them can get dropped at a moment's notice. So my pick is going to be 
Greg Hardy to get the knockout in round one. But if Juan Adams makes it out of round one, I'm telling you, live bet the house on Juan Adams. Juan Adams round two, round three might be a good pre-fight prop to bet if it's around plus three or plus four to one, uh, anywhere around there. So uh, look for those uh, props. But the, the pick is going to be Hardy to get it done by knockout in round one. The next fight also takes place in the heavyweight division. We got Alexi Olenek, who is 57-12-1, taking on Walt Harris, who is 12-7. The opening betting line for this one is Walt Harris, the favorite, at minus 135, Olenek minus 105. Right now, we are seeing Harris minus 150, Olenek plus 130. So, I'm really confused at this line movement in this fight, or where the line is set at all. I would really line Harris at closer to 2-3-1 to three to one favorite in this fight. You know what we're in store for in this fight. Olenek, he's 43 years old, he's a submission specialist, he's got nothing on the feet, he's wild, sloppy striking, absolutely wings punches. He actually kind of hurt over him with the, one of those winging punches, though, so... It's, it's no joke. He's got some power in his hands. It's heavyweight. He's he's a very strong dude, so he can definitely touch that chin if he connects on you. But his technique is so bad, you should be ashamed if Olenek touches you on the chin with a punch. Walt Harris has been making big improvements, and I've been impressed with him. He picked up that very quick knockout victory over Sergey Spivak, just blitzed him with knees and punches right away. He was beating up Mark Godbeer before he got uh, DQ'd by some stupid rule. He knocked out Daniel Spitz. He decisioned on Jarolowski. He's been on a little bit of a roll lately. Not against the highest level competition, and he has kind of struggled with grapplers throughout his career, but he's struggled against high-level grapplers like Verdum. And, uh, you know, at this point in his career, Olenek is just not a high-level grappler. Despite him being a, a dangerous submission threat, he just can't get the fight to the floor. He is desperate with his takedowns. He did get Mark Hunt down, you know, obviously, and tap him out. But Mark Hunt is just, again, a, a, a shot fighter at this point in his career, 44 years old, can't stuff a takedown, couldn't knock Olenek out on the feet, even though he had him badly hurt with punches and leg kicks. In Olenek's last fight, he was dominated in the clinch, ate a massive amount of knees to the face versus Overeem, and was eventually knocked out in round one of that fight. It's just, it comes to a point where Olenek can't take too much more damage. This guy has 70 pro MMA fights, and he does, he has won most of them by submission, but the ones he's lost, he's taken a massive amount of damage, along with a lifetime's worth of damage in the gym. So, where these two fighters are at, Walt Harris is an improving, powerful heavyweight with uh, you know good boxing, good knees. Uh, I would advise him to, to avoid the knees and the kicks in this fight uh, because that's how Olenek will take you down. Olenek can take a massive amount of damage and just keep coming forward, keeps hunting that submission. But I think Harris's takedown defense and sub-defense has gotten uh, better in the past few years. He should be able to avoid the obvious attempts of Olenek to get this fight to the floor you know Olenek got knocked out th three months ago man that was April 20th so 
May, June, July, three months ago, and he's back in the cage after getting viciously knocked out by eating 20 knees to the face versus Alistair Overeem, man. His chin has just got to drop off at some point, and I think that Harris is good enough of a fighter at this point to avoid the takedown, avoid the submission, and to knock Olenek out on the feet. So it's kind of a basic uh, analysis, a basic prediction. But with Walt Harris at minus 150, that is my second money line play uh, of the card. I, I got about two units in on Walt Harris at minus 150. I don't get the price at all. I said he should be minus two, minus three to one. And Harris has had IQ problems. He has lost fights that he he should have won before in the past. He's let fights slip away. But uh, I've been impressed with the improvements that he's making. He's basically won four in a row. And I think that he will keep the winning streak going and get the victory over Olenek. I'm going to go with the first round knockout. I expect him to test that chin of Olenek early and for Olenek to crumble. Now moving on to the main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We have Rafael Dos Anjos, who is 29-11, taking on Leon Edwards, who is 17-3. The opening betting line for this one was Dos Anjos, the minus 135 favorite, to Edwards at minus 105. Right now, we are seeing the line flip to Edwards, minus 130, Dos Anjos, plus 110. So more action coming in on the slight underdog, Leon Edwards, pushing him to a slight favorite. Man, what a fight this is. These guys are just two incredibly skilled fighters. I'm just huge fans of both these guys. I think in some ways they're kind of mirrors of one another at this point in their careers where they're both just so well-rounded. They both have great striking. They're both good in the clinch. They're good offensively in the clinch. They can stuff a takedown very well in the clinch. They have good top position. They have good takedowns. Uh, the only area where each fighter sticks out, I would say Dos Anjos has the better cardio, the better pace, and the better jujitsu. But other than that, I think that these guys are, are completely evenly matched. And I think where we're going to see them most evenly matched is to striking. It's going to be a pleasure to see these guys go back and forth in the striking. Both of them have great boxing, great kicks. It should just be a, a complete chess match between two elite level fighters. And Dos Anjos picked up that uh, great victory in his last fight against Kevin Lee. Uh, bounced back after some tough losses to the, the top echelon of the division in Covington and Usman. And he got that impressive victory over uh, Lee where he was able to outstrike Lee throughout the entire fight. He was able to stuff Lee's takedowns, get in top position, able to hit his own offensive takedowns uh, versus Kevin Lee. And he showed just really good uh, takedown defense in that fight. You know, it comes with fighting Usman and Covington and Lee back-to-back, just constant wrestler after wrestler. He's pushing him up against the cage, and he's learned, and he... He kind of struggled in the Usman and the Covington fights, but those guys are elite level fighters, as as you know, as these guys are as well. But those guys are elite level cage wrestlers with great cardio, great pace, great aggression, and uh, you know they were kind of RDA's kryptonite a little bit. But if you watch the fight versus Colby Covington, that was a very competitive fight. RDA was landing a lot of shots in the clinch. He was able to bounce back up to his feet from a lot of the takedowns. That's the thing about RDA is you can take him down, but it is extremely hard to keep him down. And uh, it's even hard to take him down. He made Kamaru Usman work for all of his takedowns. He even got back up to his feet a few times versus Usman. And it seems like he's found a few takedown defenses that really work for him. And he was using them against uh, 
Kevin Lee in his most recent fight, and that is the Kimura. He was using the Kimura to threaten with a sweep or a submission to, to get Kevin Lee off of the double leg takedown, and he was also just digging a really strong underhook where he would connect his hands and just turn his entire body into that underhook to stuff the takedown, and it was effective. He really set, stuffed Kevin Lee's takedowns well against the cage. Uh, you know, if you want to take RDA down, I advise you to do it in the center of the cage because he uses the cage really well to get some space uh, against his back, get some a, a good base to him, and use it to get back up to his feet if he gets taken down, or just use it to, to remain on his feet the entire time. His takedown defense is just getting better and better, and... Getting now, getting over to Edwards, uh, he's just a, a great kickboxer. He was able to outstrike Donald Cerrone in the first three rounds of their fight, but he started to slow down a little bit in rounds four and five. He got taken down in rounds four and five, and similar to RDA, is he's hard to take down, and it, he's not impossible to take down. You know, the high-level wrestlers uh, have able, been able to get him down, like Gunnar Nelson and Donald Cerrone, uh, but. He's hard to keep down. Same thing with Usman. Edwards fought Usman too, and Usman took Edwards down five times, and Edwards got back up to his feet five times. So both of these guys are just really comfortable being in grinding type of fights where they're getting takedowns, they're not accept the bottom, and they're getting right back up to their feet. They've you know just got incredible fighter spirit in them, and they will just refuse to be held down in, in bottom position. Except for when Edwards got taken down by Gunner in round three, and he got mounted at the end of the round, and he got kind of stuck in mount. It seems like Edwards has a little bit of a drop off as his fights go on. You know, he won rounds one and two versus Gunnar Nelson pretty comfortably, dropped Gunnar Nelson with an elbow in round two, and then round three, he kind of let it slip away, getting taken down and getting mounted at the end there. He won rounds one through three very comfortably versus Cerrone, and then rounds four and five got real competitive. He got taken down, he got put on his back, and I think he lost the latter two rounds and made that fight a 48 47 decision. So that's a bit of a problem for Leon Edwards because he does not have the cardio edge in this one. RDA has the cardio edge. RDA has the experience edge. This is RDA's fifth fight in a row where he's scheduled for the full five-minute rounds while this is only Leon Edwards' second UFC fight where he's been scheduled for the full five rounds. He fought uh, Cerrone versus uh, in Singapore with the full five rounds and now versus RDA uh, here in San Antonio. So Getting down to how this fight will play out, I see Leon Edwards winning this fight nearly. I think that he will outstrike RDA actually in in rounds one and two. I think his striking is just a little bit better than RDA's at this point. And I say a little bit better because RDA is still an extremely talented striker. His boxing and his kicks were uh, on point versus Kevin Lee. But I just think that uh, Leon Edwards will be one step ahead of, of RDA on the feet. But as this fight goes on, I expect RDA to start adapting. He's going to realize the striking isn't going his way, and he's going to look to get the takedowns. And once RDA starts pursuing the takedowns, he's Leon's going to make him work. He's going to. Uh, it's not going to be easy for RDA to get Edwards down, but I ultimately see RDA getting Edwards down to his back and then starting to out-grapple Leon Edwards on the ground. I think he will be the one in top position 
he will be the one threatening for submissions getting that ground and pound going i see rda taking over this fight as it goes on now it is possible that edwards stuffs the takedowns of rda and keeps the fight standing or rda doesn't even attempt takedowns and uh, is happy to strike the entire five rounds and that's where this fight is kind of unknown i think it'll be wicked close if this one goes the five, full five rounds in a kickboxing match i think that edwards could edge it out in a kickboxing match over the 25 minutes but if it becomes a full mma fight where it's back and forth between the striking and the grappling and primarily the grappling that's where i think the veteran rda will win this fight i think he's just got the the jiu-jitsu advantage he you know, got that third fourth degree black belt one of the highest credentialed black belts on the ufc roster uh his top position look great versus uh, um kevin lee he was able to submit kevin lee in the fourth round that, that goes to show you man he's got able he's got that finishing ability in fourth the fourth and the fifth round he was able to uh you know come back uh, multiple times throughout his career in the later rounds and you know rda is just an incredible incredible fighter and so is edwards i'm not counting counting edwards out it, it's going to be a close fight but in terms of the betting aspect in this one so it's hard to pick a side in this one uh, because each guy has a lot of different paths to victory. I do slightly lean RDA's way, but where the betting line is at, you know, I'm not going to be forcing any bets in this one because uh, RDA at plus money is is a good bet always. He will fight for your money. He's one of the one of the greatest fighters of all time, honestly. So him at plus money is kind of crazy to see at this point in his career because he's still not getting respected as much as he should. But Edwards is no joke too. That's why he's on that f seven fight win streak at welterweight. He's a full sized welterweight, unlike Kevin Lee, who was moving up to light, uh, welterweight in his last fight, who RDA got his most recent victory over. So it's just so close. Um, you know, if you want to go ahead and bet an RDA as the underdog, go ahead. I might even end up doing so, uh, as the, as the f fight day gets closer, because if you remember versus Kevin Lee, RDA was the favorite a few days before, but that late action came in on Kevin Lee and pushed RDA to an underdog, which is when I finally pulled the trigger on RDA as an underdog, uh, after I recorded the podcast last time. So that more money might come in on Leon Edwards and uh, RDA's price might get a little more exciting for me. But where it's at right now, it's going to be a pass on both sides. I just think it's going to be such a chess match between two of the highest level fighters in the roster that I can't pick a side. I don't want to be, um, you know, cheering for one side uh, more than the other. Well, I am cheering for RDA. I do think he'll win this fight. But I don't want to be too heavily invested for it where I'm, you know, cheering against Edwards because I would really be happy to see Edwards win this fight and propel himself into that elite echelon of fighters uh, where, every, where everyone respects him as an elite echelon. You know, I know he's an elite level fighter right now, but I think a lot of uh, fans out there, you know, don't fully respect Leon Edwards yet. So really looking forward to this fight it's going to be a chess match i see edwards outstriking rda early but rda will adapt he will start getting the takedowns going he will start winning rounds in top position and that cardio advantage that pace advantage and that five round experience advantage will start coming into play as the fight goes later look for some live betting opportunities on rda if he drops around one or two and starts coming back so the pick is going to be rda to get this one done via 48 47 decision 
and I'm really looking forward to this main event. It is a hell of a main event, and we got some good matchups throughout the entire card. So let's uh, just go through the bets one more time. We got uh, right now we got 1.7 units on Walt Harris at minus 156. We got one unit on Sam Alvey at plus 145.7 units on. Steven Peterson at plus 120 and 0.7 units on Mario Bautista at plus 175. So those are the bets right now. You will be able to see my final bets and all of my uh, predictions and thoughts on the fights live before the fight in the next few days on my Twitter account. You can follow me at UFO underscore UFC. That is UFO underscore UFC. Check me out over on Twitter. Uh, I post a lot over there. And uh, just want to thank everybody for tuning into the podcast podcast as always i appreciate each and every one of you and uh, hope you all enjoy the fights this weekend in san antonio and i will see you next week before ufc 240 peace